I still think it's what's her name. Felicity Jones's mom. No, stop it. Get out of here with that idea. I have no. ideas. I'm sorry. Oh, Didn't you say about having like, that's weak? It's, there's no indication that that would happen in this show because they've well, clearly avoided. Amazing, Susanna White, excellent directing. Um, all the, the Gilroys. Yeah. This is based on Star Wars by George Lucas. I would like to say, spoiler. <laughs> this show. It's the best show that Star Wars has ever done. Uh, in every way. I agree on that front. Um, because You're because it's just a good show. You? No, I had okay. to stand up because the light was dark. The show is incredible. It really is. It's, it's, it's pretty much perfect. Yes, I agree. It starts all the right... It strikes all the right balances. But that's it, just what Diego Luna does. Diego Luna is great. And, uh, like, I, out of all of the characters in the whole Star Wars canon, the fact that Andor is the most compelling <laughs> is, is just a testament to that. No, you can write. Like, it's a testament really, to good writing. I still think that. Uh, blonde bitch is Felicity Jones's uh, mom. I would throw this and, show in the trash if they decide that somebody's going to be related no, to and somebody and else. Andor is related to Poe. Stop it! Why? Why? Would, why? In a, when you go to the military, when you go into the military. All of the generals are my dad. (laughs) All of the generals on a military base, dude. So everybody was related to everybody. (laughs) No, actually, my mom like felt more alone than ever. So there were more than one family. (laughs) Let's say. I, but you know how it works in the Star Wars universe. No, I don't. I don't like that. That's what everyone else has done, like except it, we have, the, I don't we accept have that. To, I don't accept that. And I, don't, I don't accept it. We, we don't have to accept it, but we have to prepare oh, ourselves. No, we don't. No, we don't. Clearly, the Gilroys have... Just so you, why? Just so you can like, get mad why do you want the, me and excuse wh- me Why do you want it? everybody... Why do you want everybody I, to be related? so much i don't you, i don't i do not it's you do because you keep saying it no, and don't. there's no I there's don't. zero indication of anything be right? there you was a zero indication right? in this entire show there's zero indication watching this show are you right i don't want to be right about anything listen this just makes me think you read something somewhere because there's nothing in I this entire show I, I there's swear, nothing in I this entire swear, show. There's I nothing in this entire show. There's nothing in this entire show. There's nothing in this entire show. There's nothing in this entire show that would indicate that anybody's related to anybody. This is a separate show. Can we accept I just that? Thought the blonde bitch looks a lot like Felicity Jones. Who cares? And, I look a lot like and, Lady Kravitz. And dad worked in the Empire. Who cares? 
So you you know how that big the empire is? My dad worked in the military. We must be cousins. I yearn for Shakespearean drama. I don't think this show has anything to do with that. Hey, Will, gotta mute your, uh, gotta mute your, your, uh, Will, you gotta mute it. It should be muted, as far as I, I know. Music. I hear the music. You gotta start oh, the TV. Oh, okay, yeah, I got yeah, you. Yeah. It's not the stream, it's the TV. They're gonna hit Copyright, got you. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay, there we go. Uh, so, we're gonna just totally reject the idea that anybody's related to anybody and accept this show for what it is, which is an a, a an offshoot of entirely unique characters, except for uh, except for Andor. I think Andor is the only thing that ties us into um, into the main. Yeah. Okay, I missed that whole part of the conversation, so that's not pertain to me. You don't have to worry about me talking about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. I don't know why. Colleen just dropped off. She just dropped a bomb. She said, "That's her, that's Felicity Jones's mom." Don't. <laughs> I was going to say, don't, don't yeah. tell me. I, I would like to discuss the uh, the really excellent writing about the Empire at this point because we've always known that the Empire is evil, but they're getting real specific about the evil things the Empire is doing. Right. Uh, that explanation of how they're going to interact with the the natives of that planet. And, like, they've clearly been living there, and they never learned the language, and that other dude had learned the language. Oh, right. Like, well, yeah, yeah, they established that he had a relationship with the natives, so... Uh, there, there are so many levels of subtext, and some of it may not be intentional, but because of my background, I'm going to read into certain things. And, uh... I just it okay. So I'll just put it as plainly as possible. I'm going to be the anti Kanye, which was I guess Kanye ten years ago. Um, <laughs> but have we noticed that every every let's say ch- chapter or section of this story where and or leaves a place, all the minorities stay there or they die. <laughs> It's like he's True. just dropping them off. I said they off. killed the two like, black guys. That was it. Well, we we didn't see uh, the one guy. He I, he didn't die on camera, did he? I didn't see him. Yeah, both um, both uh, uh ex Orange Trooper got shot, which you know, but um, bump. But the uh, shot. Colonel. I didn't he see that, and maybe I just missed it. I didn't see him yeah. get shot. The Colonel they sh- did get they shot. showed a. Yeah, they showed a quick shot of them, so, so to speak. Both they were both dead, or at least that's the <laughs> presumption. Yeah, yeah, they were both. And then the... laying down. Hey, hey, quick shot. Yeah, they were, yeah. They were lifeless, lifeless, dead. But uh, yeah, so I know it's kind of a Hollywood tradition. You know, no one's got their hand cut off yet. But, like, minority survival rates are still super low. And it's just, it's super annoying to have that happen. But to know, yeah, yeah there's a good chance it's going to happen. So populate with as many as possible that way. If you kill more than one, it's the ratio is still favorable. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's just like, ah, oh, Star Wars is going to Star Wars. But um, another good episode. And they're, they're, they're sticking with the heist motif. And a heist only makes sense 
justifiably if you're going against a quote-unquote evil empire. And right. for the monetary aspect to be something where you can be like, oh, it's good that they stole money. Because like, the Robin Hood thing kind of falls flat unless that is an integral part of how the empire operates. So turning them into a feudalist empire akin to... We can talk about the Roman Empire. We can talk about the Catholic Church. We can talk about Western colonialism. But the framing the empire in that way so specifically is very appropriate yeah. because that's how you can tie in okay there's a value in a a monetary strike versus a military strike mm -hmm. right um f as far as the empire or as far as what do you mean as far yeah, as the rebels the, yeah striking against the empire and doing it in that way instead of right. why not just liberate the people yeah like there's a there's a strategic oh, big picture option there like and, and weren't they stealing that money for the rebellion to fund the rebellion or were they that like, that seems to be implied like, but i don't remember that character specifically saying that yeah because skeen was just like let's just take the money after like so that's yeah. i guess andor's motivation really to to dispatch skeen because he's like wait this whole mission was to fund the rebellion so i guess so he's, you're taking he's, the a noble read. I'm taking the pragmatic read of, alright, it's obvious that this guy can't be trusted, so I'm not going to go anywhere with him. Andor or Skeen? Andor. His read was, alright, this guy's already represented himself as a threat, because the one thing I knew about him that made him of any merit was a lie, and he openly admitted it. He was willing to betray everyone there, and so yeah. you're saying, go to a moon that I don't know with right. you who I can't trust. Yeah, you're no just going to kill me and take all the 80 million. Yeah. Yes, uh, hand shot first. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's that that I guess push did come to um shoot in that in that scene. So what a what an episode. What a like hair-raising yeah. episode. Very intense. The suspense, the action, all very well done. It paid off because we sat we built these characters up. We built this mission up these last three, four episodes, especially. Yeah. And to be like, this is a big deal, <laughs> you know? And then like, now we get to know each one of these people and we even still get more details. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, he's a stormtrooper. It's like, oh sh snap, that, that guy's a stormtrooper. Well, that makes it. The case. I got a, a little bit more question for you. Yeah. So do you guys think this episode, or let's say the combination of these last two episodes, because that's pretty much how they encapsulate this whole arc right here. Because hold on, let me do the math for an episode. So the last three episodes. So this is the second film. I'm I'm going to think of it as two films. All right, we had the first movie, which was uh, Escape from wherever Andor was. I forgot the name of his planet. He was stuck on with the people who adopted him. So there was Escape yeah. from there. That was the first mm -hmm. movie. I consider that like an indie drama uh, thriller. And this is right. the second movie. This is the heist movie. I feel yeah. like this heist movie is a better version of what they wanted to do with Rogue One. With Rogue One, Honestly. yeah. I was getting Rogue One vibes um, in this episode going like, yeah, listen, the third act of Rogue One I actually rewatched about uh, several weeks ago, and it's it's pretty good. It's like I think the whole movie was leading up to that, and that was probably the original uh, inception of that whole the conception of that whole movie mm -hmm. was like. So it felt like it was all leading up to 
that third act, which felt like, okay, this is how you steal the plans for the Death Star. This is like the whole point of the, the mission, the movie. And now it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm digging this, this clandestine mission type of thing where they have to really, cause these guys are, it's like six people against an empire. <laughs> you know, they're trying to steal millions in credit of, in credits and just, just do these little missions. It's, it's, it's so intense to to have to, and again, I would be, it, it would be the, I just really emphatically think that the Gilroys know what they're doing by not in, including any like familial relationships because it's just like right. who like Boba and Django Django Fett right. Like, that's just well, I think there's an easier way to no not sense. get hung up on that, and yeah. it's just that. We know the time frame of when this is happening in a restaurant. It's like the character of Cassian Andor isn't that much. Well, he's he's older than he was when they shot Rogue One, but I I get the impression yeah. the character is not supposed to be significantly younger, and so the the, the character that Colleen thought has enough similarities in personality, and then there's a Kyber Christian involved to be related to Felicity Jones's character, she's too young to have a daughter as old as Felicity Jones. Yeah, this is five years before Rogue One slash A New Hope. This is five BBY. Yeah. Um, So at that point in the timeline, that character is already dead. Yeah, I just think it would be like, it, it would make zero sense. It would be worse than the prequels. Yeah. To like, to well, the math like, doesn't support yeah. it. Yeah. So, like, let's just lean on the math and. But um, I think I think so, it's just a bad read of the show. <laughs> I'm sorry, Khalid. It's just that's not the yeah. read that that the, I don't think yeah. they're laying that down at all in this show. I think right. they're specifically avoiding any type of father son well, mother daughter. It's a it it reads as the archetype, and that's the archetype they've used for multiple characters, and that one just happens to line up with certain things. And, you know, there are a lot of times where when you look at one of a, the, the characters from a particular Star Wars show, you can tell that in a certain way it's modeled after another one. Like, you look at Cassian Andor, my first thought is, all right, like, when I first saw the character in Rogue One, okay, he's kind of a Han Solo analog um, in his own kind of way. It's a rougher version of what Han Solo would have been if Star Wars would have been rated R at the time, maybe. So take it right. for what it's worth. And so the character and I, I can't even think of her name now because I'm not good with names, but, uh, but let's, lead let's not discount heist. the fact that hunt that solo kind of bumbles through everything. <laughs> like he's, he's always, though. yeah, he successfully bumbles through everything. Andor is methodical and a lot more serious as a character. For, for, well, uh, you gotta yeah. realize too, a lot of his success is, uh, it's a more, melancholy bumbling because we opened the series with him killing someone who when he didn't intend to kill anyone he had a specific thing he was trying to do and he failed to smoothly get the information he wanted about his sister right so and everything that has fallen from that has been all right i cannot get away from the mess i created for myself and it's getting worse and worse and now i'm in a heist that basically barely succeeded and technically kind of failed because they didn't do it the way it was supposed to so, and he's ditching the mission. So, but he's he's done it with melancholy and poise. 
<laughs> but yeah. he, he is yeah. also kind of fumbling. <laughs> it's like he, it's just... he did not have a plan. And the, the tone is just... It, yeah, it's just in a. It's the tone is pitch perfect for the show because right. Yeah, I think that that's what's making this work. Like Obi Wan was a little yeah. strange, and also Boba Fett. The tone and you know tonally, those shows were a kind of not not super great. And like the this show differs from the Mandalorian, which I think Mandalorian season two is is great. And uh, but this show differs from that because that's like these these epic adventures that they're going on, and right. then, you know they they've got the comic relief of, of Grogu and everything, and yeah. just being cute. A, this is just yeah, this is carrying everything on the story and the characters. Yeah, you're getting at the like the thing, but I like I want other people to confirm this because like the reason I feel it's a better version of Rogue One is because of what you just said. Though. The way that the tone is consistent, not only in the storytelling, but also in the portrayal and the depiction of the characters. Like, when I see this, they may have some archetypical characters. They got the smart guy. They got the untrustworthy guy. They got the brooding guy. They got the, the flavorful character that nobody knows how to read them. But they're not over the top to the point where it feels like you, you're expecting the toy set to come out and each character is going to be, right. you know, that toy or that character you remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. This, that's what I feel like Rogue One was. It's like, all right, let's give everybody these really memorable, really over the top characters that we're going to play off each other. It was more Marvel. In, right. I guess yeah. if we want to use an analogy, it, it definitely yeah, had that Marvel type thing where, all right, all right we're going to give you the monk and his friend, the gunman. And the crazy pilot, and the smart Alec droid. Yeah, the, I I even saw world. something. Somebody posted a YouTube video last week about the ship that last week. I don't know if you remember the ship was like, "Can I help you with anything?" Like there was like a little pro right, yeah. look. Um, uh-huh. someone was like, "Oh, that might be K two SO's consciousness," and I'm like, "Why are we doing this?" Like Star Wars has ruined people's minds for not member Star berries. Wars in general, just yeah, a couple of specific Star Wars movies that didn't have anything else to lean on but yeah. Well, I think it, even more than just Star Wars, familiarity has become a major part of a lot of media that's coming out right now, and people are able to rewatch things more than ever before and listen to the same music over and over again more than ever before. So we might be kind of shifting our preference to be the familiar. Yeah. Oh, See, yeah. I'm the one person who doesn't do that. I rarely watch a movie more than once. So I'm like, yeah. the wrong well, the, demo for that. <laughs> well, I always say, I've been saying that for a couple of years now that like the, the generation that is making films today was the first generation to get VHS and DVDs so yeah. that they could rewatch stuff over and over again. So this generation of people that are creating media and, and the hunger for it is because of the familiarity, because of the mm-hmm. comfort of, I watched Little Mermaid over and over again. Now give me the yeah. Little Mermaid a hundred more times. You know, I've give me, <laughs> you know, it's just like, just give me the same thing but different, but the same. So even like All right. remember episode that year seven. two different Snow White movies came out? Live action ones? Yes. This oh, year, yeah, two Snow new Pinocchio movies and came out. Kristen Stewart. 
Yeah, the Pinocchio yeah. movies are coming out this year. There's Pinocchio, Robert Zemeckis, and then there's Pinocchio, um, Guillermo del Toro is doing Because they're in too. public domain, yeah. That always happens yeah. with the public domain stuff. Okay, Jungle so Books, Tony yeah. Gilroy, quick factoid. He is 66 years old. So he yeah. supersedes the generation we're talking about. Right, um, he's more drama. Yeah. He's more like historical drama, probably. You really want to hit the nail on the head? He was born on September 11th. Oh. It was his 45th birthday when the attacks happened. Interesting. So Interesting. for him to be as invested in the idea of this, this rebellion and sabotage. It's like, mm. Right. Now I'm sure it's not intended, but just like layers. Like, There's a lot of intentionality. You know, Ray was saying about the... um the empire, the empirical motivation. And and, and I'm looking at this so. now. I'm not as familiar with his filmography as I thought I was. Because I, I, I pulled it up and I was just like, all right, so I, I know I know some of his stuff. He did like um, the Bourne series. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that he did the Bourne movies and Michael Clayton. And now thinking about that while we're watching this, mm-hmm. like, at least in the case of the original Born Identity, that movie, outside of the occasional fight sequence, it's a very quiet, very pensive movie. And it's all about the character being developed, but the character is a blank slate. And I'm just yeah. like, all right, so what if you put Jason Bourne in the role of Cassie and Andor? Would this show still work? And I'm just like, yeah, because that's what they did. They inter-spliced little bits of... Memories coming back, little flashbacks, except they did it very deliberately in those first few episodes where they basically did a 50-50, giving us his... I don't know if that's supposed to be his motivation. Maybe, I mean, that hasn't been discussed. I mean, maybe we'll get into that at some point. But even if you think about the end game for the character I lost going you. into the movie... Hello? Oh. No audio or... Hello? Poland is calling me. Sorry, I just it was getting a call. I was getting a call from Poland. <laughs> oh, I don't know why? I, I ignored it. Poland can call me back. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just thinking about and, and like I don't know anything about what happens later in the show, but knowing what happens in the movies, like they did a really deliberate and purposeful job of developing what could be like a motivation for him to be invested in the rebellion with the fate of the leader of his tribe. Well, for like, yeah. And also the, the guy who just died mouse or whatever his name was, yeah. he had, he has a manifesto. He was talking about his right, manifesto. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I guarantee you now this is actually interesting as far as origins go. If like part of that, that manifesto is like the basis, the mission statement for like the rebellion, because we're watching the rebellion get cobbled together right now, which is, right. Uh, you know, so like maybe what he wrote is actually what's, what brings everybody with a common mission. And it's really cool to see the disparate factions like Bon Mothma's like gotta be political and, and, work in the Senate and be like, Hey, yo, what's going on? And then these guys are just running around and, you know, carrying out missions. And then you've got, um, Luther and Lorther, Lorther, Luther. He's, he's a, a spy, <laughs> you know, he's like pretending to, 
I mean, it's just all this backroom stuff. Yeah, Skarsgård. That's his thing. I don't trust his intentions to be as like it. It. I know they're not. Maybe they're not playing it this way, but like he's giving me Palpatine vibes. You know, let's not forget that he was walking around with a stick inside of like a faux lightsaber hilt earlier in the first episode or second episode. Remember that? Yeah. He was walking around with like a uh-huh. when stick. He, that was part yeah. of his disguise. Like I'm disabled. So Hobble. maybe I'm wondering, I don't know how he acquired that. Maybe he killed a Jedi. Maybe he is actually. Oh, I'm not even thinking a, anything along the lines of like him being uh, someone who's fourth sense of anything. I'm just the idea that he's got his own political aims apart from the rebellion. Like there's something else. Yeah. There's another maneuver he's dealing with. But the fact that he's the guy who deals in artifacts and like there's that that weird armor that we see back there and whatnot, like there's there's definitely more to him because he's got access to all these things that are gonna be tied to these cultures that have a lot of different significance in the greater lore. So who knows? But like I don't yeah. like we they've established he's That's true, not yeah. what he That's true. to everyone else, but like he's the unreliable narrator to me. Like he's pushing this this second arc of this Technically, to a certain degree, he pushed part of the first arc of the the show too. So, yeah, we'll see well, what happens with him. Yeah, he could be a master manipulator, you know, going on because he got yeah. Andor to do this, and he's getting like he's getting Momothma to do stuff. So maybe he's who knows. This is really cool. It's really interesting to be introduced into a yeah. whole pocket universe. <laughs> because yeah, I don't it, need the same stuff over. I don't. I'm yeah. so happy and so relieved that the Gilroys are like, it's not going to be Darth Vader every three seconds again, just because he's a character right, that we yeah. own. <laughs> you know, like that. everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that guy. You know, it's like, no, let's learn new characters and actually care. Oh, this is such a relief. I've been like waiting for this. I've been wait- I was yeah, hoping yeah. for this in the 10 years ago when they said that they, that Disney acquired Lucasfilm. It's like, well, great. Now we get to well, see I all the characters. I never would have expected this from Disney, to be honest. Like, when they got Lucasfilm, yeah. I was like, all right, here comes the return of the Ewoks. Right. <laughs> That's what I saw coming. Um, well, you saw that yeah, picture this... of George Lucas with Mickey Mouse holding a lightsaber and his miserable face. I don't face. know if I did. I don't I know if I ever saw camera. that picture. I'm going to show you that picture. Excuse me. Let me put it on the screen, actually. Let's see if I can do that. Um, Chiraptera, what do you think about my my assertion that this is better than Rogue One, or this is a better version than Rogue One? How do you? Feel yeah, about I think that's a that's got some merit to it because I think Rogue One got a little bit Hollywood at some point. I also think that Felicity Jones is awful in it, like truly terrible. <laughs> it was embarrassing. It was like watching her read. For this character, for the first time, <laughs> yeah, you know, I I bet you she probably did a, a an entire approach. Oh, I <laughs> she did an, an yeah, yeah. That picture is horrifying. Look at George Lucas's see, the thing lack is, of enth- whose eyes are better in this picture. <laughs> Mickey Mouse's goofy, yeah, the, the goofy and the Mickey <laughs> look more uh, more alive than he does. Oh, that is like, sad. That is a man who just sold his soul. 
Or maybe um, he just had a, a big toque. Who knows? Because his eyes look kind of red. It, it could be the coloration on the picture, but his eyes do look he, red. He had to take like, some hey. measures and orders to handle this photo shoot. Oh, man, oh, man. I feel sorry for George Lucas. Uh, yeah, I think, though, I think Felicity Jones might have taken an entire approach to the character, and then when they did reshoots, they were probably like, can you change everything you did to approach this character? So there's probably an inconsistency in her performance because of that, oh. or maybe that, that might be why it's bad, because they probably were like, do another whole take on this character after you've mm-hmm. been cast as the main character of this film. How long no, just after they t- started shooting were the reshoots? Um, I don't even know. I think it was within a year. And um, okay, and they they reshot sixty percent of the movie, <laughs> something like. That. Wow, yeah. Did they change directors? Because I know with Solo they did, but I can't remember if they did with Gareth oh, Edwards. Okay, yeah, they yeah, brought they go. brought in they might have brought in I think Tony Gilroy, actually, to yeah, guide. Yeah, I don't think he was the original person. Yes, I think Tony Gilroy came in. And was kind of like, I'm going to secretly take over these reshoots with Gareth Edwards, which probably was like in- incredibly undermining feeling for Gareth Edwards. But at the same time, so, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, we got to. Gareth Edwards do the Godzilla movie. Is that where he came from? Is that what got him the job? Uh, Gareth Edwards did something that was actually really um, or- notable. Hopefully Edwards. not Chronicle. I think he did Chronicle. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. He did... Uh... No, the guy who did Fortastic did Chronicle. That's who did Chronicle. Uh, yeah, Gareth Edwards did do Godzilla. So they were, they were approached They were approaching him because of his ability to, to convey scale. Uh, I remember right. that specifically. So they, like, the scale of... Godzilla and the scale of Rogue One, they wanted to have this, like... And he I mean, that is, is a talent. Nostalgia generation. Yeah. Like, have you seen is... Monsters? I have not. It's it's a good movie. Um, It's an indie film, so he was limited in what he can do with budget, but because I'm not sure if he was the cinematographer or whoever he worked with on cinematography, they shot the film on location in such a way where it conveyed that scale without such a big budget so that when they needed to use effects, they could do it sparingly. But when they did, it was too great effect. It's a good movie. Um, and I can totally see why between that and the Godzilla, he got it, but I guess he got, he got canned and then they got Gilroy. And I think that was a good move. <laughs> I think they they won one for a change. Yeah, they they um, I think that that was. I mean, it is a talent to be able to convey scale like that Gareth Edwards can do because I I was just talking earlier about the show The Rings of Power, and uh, the Rings of Power tries to convey scale and it doesn't work. It doesn't. It just doesn't come across. And like I still so, haven't mustered the will to give it a shot. Yeah, it's not. Well, Colleen says it's still compelling to watch, and I can't. I've deny heard that. it. It gets better. <laughs> it Every gets time better I, I watch it, I just end up talking through it. Mm. Yeah. 
But I've heard it's episode three, which is ironic because that's the for me that was the high water mark of this series that made me say, All right, this is great. It took episode three for me to totally like invest and be willing to join the hype train. So eventually I will, but I also have like all this Lord of the Ring baggage. Which is funny because Star Wars had the same baggage for me, and it's taken this long for me to be like, okay, I'm cool with Star Wars again because the same kind of fanboys that we've learned to hate now, like I was sick of in like 1998. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like and those, Star Wars? Yeah, because I may have told you this, but I had a group of friends who their goal in life during that period of time was to unseat Titanic <laughs> as the number one blockbuster. So when they released these special editions they they were like yeah we're gonna work to go see that movie as many times as possible regardless of quality to make it the number one box office draw and then they had the same approach to the prequels even though at the time you know everyone was sort of lukewarm to what we were seeing like the hype fizzled but they still were like vehemently committed to the cause and then they did the same thing the same group of people the same demographics had the same approach to the Lord of the Rings. Um, and so I'd already, like, they they really helped to alienate me from both of those intellectual properties in a major way. And it wasn't anything they did intentionally, but it was just I was the clannishness of it. And I use that word as a double entendre. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really became very clear to me. Like, oh, yeah. this is not of my people. Yeah, but, and I you mean, know... Ahead, Just recently on on Twitter.corn, I was reading about how these dudes who are like, oh, these girls wouldn't date me because of my nerdy interests. And I assume that they would say similar things about not having uh, close friends or <laughs> any, you know, any whatever thing. They go, because of my nerdy interests. And it's never because of their interests because they were jerks. And they encourage yeah. each other to be jerks. Precisely. That's the thing. Precisely. It's like, yeah, people are like, why don't people like me? It's like, well, are you likable? <laughs> like, try to be, I yeah. don't know, like, try to do be the qualities that you want to attract. That's how you attract people. <coughs> you I'm be, sorry. You, yeah, I, I got a tickle in my throat <clears throat> as well. But oh that's God, the thing. It's I'm like, not going to get COVID from you guys, am I? Yeah, no, yeah, no, COVID, I. Of all things, I have an ear infection. I've had a sinus reaction to the climate oh, changing. I'm here in the Midwest, so people get bronchitis and and they get sinusitis, like they, they get colds. And so I was one of those people, and I think this year it finally caught up to me because now everybody's not wearing masks anymore. And the benefit of masking up for the last two and a half years was that not only did you not get COVID, but you didn't get most of the other communicable diseases that that's true. Affect the upper yeah. area too, and so yeah. we kind of got away from that. And I work in schools, and all the little kids, like our schools are groups where the the, the kindergartners through second graders are all in the building together, and like right. it, it's a petri dish all the time. But like this is the hacking version of the petri dish, so okay, it's so... going around. Ugh. Yeah, you yeah. Have Well, before this, we were <laughs> we were saying how um, it's it's not your interests that make you unbearable; it's your attitude. And I think yeah. that's like maybe kind of common with people with like hyperfixations, because the the community becomes insular and kind yes. of exclusionary. 
And that was kind of my reaction to college. It's like, oh, this is a place where there are more nerds than anything else. But what you find out is that with any social group, there's a hierarchy. And when you get power, regardless of what cultural ideas you gravitate towards, unless one of them is egalitarianism and kindness, you're going to turn into a bully. You're going to turn into a, an abusive authoritarian circle because you're going to want to assert your values and your norms over everyone else's and anything else that challenges that you're going to treat with indignation and disrespect. Right. Yeah. And, this yeah. is uh, and, this is doing your father's work syndrome, but like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to turn into my father, but then you turn into the, the person who bullied you your whole childhood anyway. Yeah. But yeah. you're bullying by your own rules, so it's okay. Yeah, so it's different now. Yeah. Uh, what's the buzzword they use for that now? That's starting to... It's gotten worn out. Uh, gatekeeping. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of gatekeeping going on these days, especially Sorry. in Hollywood. Yeah. There's a lot of... Um, Hang on, sorry. I found it like, really important to do this thing right now, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, look, when uh, when I was one of those people in my own little weird way, but also so contrary that I could only have one or two friends, um, I was a super hardcore Disney hater. <laughs> like, I would not watch yeah. anything. Yeah, I didn't really anything. get I don't really get the Disney uh, bug that a lot of people seem to like have grown up with. There's a, for, for instance, like there's a thing I always talk about here in Los Angeles, uh, you know, thankfully Disney is a huge employer of people in California. It's like one of the biggest employers of, of people right. in California. And interestingly enough though, there's like this weird culture that goes on with Disney. I don't know what it is. It, 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 I just, I've never been to Disney world. I've never been to Disneyland. Maybe something happens to you. You get converted. But like every time I talk to somebody and they work at Disney, they go, I work at Disney. And then like they turn their head to the side and they have a big smile. Like, it's like, they're so proud to, and happy. And they just expect you to be like dazzled. The fact that they work at Disney and they're so happy what? about it. And I just don't, I, I never, like, I remember my friend grew up what he was just like, it was like Disney movies were like the greatest thing. And I just thought they were like, so, um, whitewashed number one. And also, and and also just very like, like, um, saccharine and inoffensive. See, I have two former coworkers that both actually all their lives wanted to work for Disney and got jobs at Disney. Like, literally, um, one of them, he was a art major, and he was a very talented illustrator. Um, he was also a starting football player for our college's football team. So me trying to parse those two things, I was just like, huh. But he was a very magnanimous guy. And um, when I connected the dots, I was like, oh, he, he just happens to be a gifted athlete, but he's also a gifted scholar and a gifted artist. And... He was just a pleasant person. And so someone with that kind of personality, they want to go to the happiest place on earth and be happy and make people happy. Like it took a while. So creepy about this story that you've just described my dad. My dad was a former uh, Disney animator. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he was. 
No, but he was a, a very, okay. uh, you know, a talented athlete and a magnanimous dude. And yeah, he fit in well with the the work culture there. And there is something about the work culture that's like, it, it must be the higher ups because Starbucks does it too. They use particular language in order to have maximum retention with for their employees. Uh, so there's probably something happening with the Disney uh, higher ups where they're like, you can only use these kinds of words to talk yeah, to employees because yeah. this is the happiest place on earth. I think between yeah, that and yeah. the fact that they recruit people who actually just want to be there, like imagine, yeah. well, I mean, you could say the, sort of the same thing for Hollywood, like people who go to Hollywood to work in the film industry, they obviously didn't do it because they didn't have another option. It's what they wanted right. to do. You, you yeah, you want to do that. It's like an active um, pursuit. You don't go like, ah, oh, yeah, and I wound up working at Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you're, you're, it's kind of like a, it's kind of a prestige. It's a, and Disney yeah. being like well, the most powerful. With nepotism now, some people might yeah. <laughs> say, well, I, I guess I work at Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the true that's very true. Yeah, people are like I guess that, I gotta that, be an actor. Some the people. other person who landed the job there, she was also an illustrator. But when she got there, she was actually, she I think she got to be Mickey or Minnie. She was actually one of the what uh, the the what's the word they use for the people in the costumes? They have a, a specific term. Face character. No. Oh, face character. Uh, I don't think they call them. It's something like actor. Disney guy. Disney character. But she was. I think it's just Disney character. Yeah. Because when you go to the park, you get to meet the. Oh, I wish I can't remember the term, but that's what she did, and she loved it because she was yeah. one of the characters, and she wanted to be one of the characters. Um, so I'm just like I think about that, and it's like, all right, like what would the equivalent have been for me? Um, right. And if yeah. I got my equivalent, is it somewhere that is a happy place? And it's like, all right, so I loved comics, and I loved music so those were the two things i was interested in but actively at the time when i was most eager to pursue those things most of the people i looked up to were actively alienated by those things Mm. and trying to find ways to do them apart from the industries that supported them but because disney is in its own thing for so long they have established right this is the norm this is our culture these are our endeavors um so the the influence of outside culture, I would say, in the last since the resurgence of Disney, with I guess the Little Mermaid was the first one, right? Uh, the second resurgence of Disney, uh, since that kicked off, so that would put us like the early nineties. They've yeah. pushed culture more than culture has pushed them. And what yeah, they like they to- they just kept snowballing with all the different. Like that formulaic, like we'll get a pop star to write the song. We'll animate this movie for the four years, and we'll just take a, a public domain property that we can yeah. we could make for free. We don't have to pay any royalties or rights. We can actually just reap all the benefits. Right. And uh, yeah, that's like. Well, like so you're saying Disney started the nostalgia generation. Well, that you could say that, but even to the extent that part of what makes that. Co- the culture, the corporate culture that keeps people there and makes people want to work there so salient is the fact that no one is pushing them to be something they aren't. They're pushing everyone else to be more like them. Because 
Well, like I'm thinking, all right, no Disney, no Pixar, right? And then Pixar becomes like the hugest thing until Disney does what? They buy Pixar. So um, yeah. the comics industry almost collapsed upon itself in the mid to late 90s. Um, and what was the saving grace for comics? They moved into film. What saved the films when they were starting to fall apart? Yeah. Because of mismanagement? Disney. Disney. So yeah. they came in and they... they they worked with Marvel to get a larger audience for some obscure characters. And Marvel has always into... been hustling too, though. Marvel has been hustling since they were just comic strips and comic books. And then they yeah. were like cartoons. And then they were, you know, series, TV series. And then they were right, movies. But their cultural yeah. penetration had its limits. Like, yeah. The comics were are like wrestling is now. Like people know the hugest wrestlers. They're like ubiquitous stars. They're memes unto themselves. But Rock like, who? if you ask somebody, Hulk are you subscribed to the WWE Network? Most people are going to be like, no. Right. <laughs> They're not right. watching the pay-per-views. But Disney took something that was the equivalent of that. Like the people I know who buy comic books are few and far a number of the total people I know. The people who've seen a cartoon, yeah, the higher number to a certain period in their life, then they stop. But Disney has worked so that now the film industry is part and parcel with the intellectual properties that came out of comic books. Like if you cut comic book movies out of the film industries now, inclusive of mainstream comic books and indie comic books, I would say like the number of films that are in production would probably be halved. At least those mm-hmm. that gross over a hundred million dollars. Um, and that is a byproduct of Disney cultivating a cultural relevance for comic books that didn't exist before. So they yep. pushed culture by acquiring something that let them like Marvel is their touchstone pictures for the 21st century. They can mm-hmm. couch in some adult type stuff and still make it something for the whole family. Um, and this is like our star Wars version of this. I feel like this is the most adult star Wars has been since the empire strikes back. Yes, Absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, this is, it's almost as if, if you telegraphed or extrapolated from The Empire Strikes Back, interpolated technically because this is a prequel, but like, you would say that that would have been a totally different series. You know, people complain about the Ewoks and all that stuff and making it kids, like a kid's Uh toy venture, but like, Star Wars would have been totally more about a Star Galactica than... (laughs) And, you know, yeah. Disney fair, which is, um, you know, George Lucas specifically said that he wanted to make it for kids, but that was because he made freaking billions of dollars selling toys after the yeah. first movie. He said he, he understood you know, the business model. Yeah. And that's, you know, George Lucas, there's never been the guy is a brilliant ideas guy. There's no doubt about it. He's the, one of the greatest innovators in film history hands down not even a debate problem is he's you forgot my what's Luca quote didn't you what's that you forgot well, no, my, no. My, my my hot take yeah. on him well i would say but no let me uh taylor i'm gonna let you finish but let me just say that george lucas is one of the greatest of all time no, but also at the same time it's because he's just a smart like he sees an opportunity 
and takes it. And he's always done that. He saw the opportunity for Star Wars to be a special effects vehicle for industrial light, for, to, to create a spec, special effects company. He said, I want to tell this story. But, you know, George Lucas is the guy that's like, no, I want to make special effects that will dazzle the world. And then I could sell that. I can actually sell that to other companies, which is what they did. The Empire Strikes Back had like 10 times the amount of effects as Star Wars. And then they, and people started like asking Industrial Light and Magic, can you do that for us? Can you do that for us? And then they just became a billion dollar effects company because they, and then he did the same thing in the late 90s with the, with ILM and the, the visual effects. He was just like, how do I sell visual effects as like this ongoing uh commodity that i provide and just kind of leaving the whole story aspect behind and leaving the the whole what people have gravitated to it's like yeah we were dazzled by the visuals but uh you know that's not like visual effects is not does not a star wars make this is proven by this show andor which is so character driven it's just people in a situation what was your what was your star wars quote (laughs) <laughs> I said again, you'll be... you're, you're George Lucas. Yeah, <laughs> you forgot. I said he was a hack. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. I I did quote Will on that. I said George Lucas is a hack. Uh, Will <laughs> like that. That's a direct quote. Uh, don't take it out of context. <laughs> oh, it was but, there was yeah. no special context. I was just being blunt. Um, yeah. That's not necessarily true. That's me revisionist history. Um, I'm going back because I'm trying to remember because one of the things that I didn't know until in the most recent years was the number of people who went on to do great things that worked for George Lucas at that time. Like, because there's a James Cameron like featurette or something I was watching where he was explaining how he was coming up with the idea for Avatar while he was working on Star Wars and he was part of the crew and I'm trying to remember what role he had on the crew um, and then there's another very well known very reputable filmmaker that also had a, a, a role in the crew of the making of Star Wars and it, and it, it had never come up in all my years of knowing them as like a central figure and, um, and I was just like oh I didn't even realize he came out of that, that same production yeah and i'm looking now trying to see where it is i need to use find control f use the force what but uh, as far as the review of this episode fantastic mid-season um mm-hmm. uh fantastic mid-season uh climax it's uh it was really really built up and it paid off and i love the fact that missions never go as there's planned <laughs> and people died in unexpected ways and uh, you know, maybe we, th- we thought maybe the kid was going to live but he died that's like real that's that's interesting um, and that made sense and uh, yeah and you know we got a little bit of an alien which is cool because I'd, I'd say that oh the doctor yeah that, that makes yeah, sense like, that was out of uh, out of a I would say planet. that that's that's maybe one of the things that were not quite like the show's sort of avoiding maybe in order to just sort of maintain like a belief, uh, a suspension of disbelief so that we can kind of 
you know, if we see a Wookiee every three seconds, we might be taken out. I don't know, though. That's how Star Wars works. Star Wars is just aliens mixed in with humans, and we just go with it. Like, but yeah, uh, yeah that's that's like the expensive, brand. Though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They just got, and we had the benefit anyway. of them being on a specific colonized planet with a specific type of people with yeah. a specific group. So, so far, that Imperial Security contractor force i don't think they've shown any aliens working for their contractor yet they're all humanoid characters yeah well i like human. the the idea that people were like the empire um is racist <laughs> and only yeah. employs humans yes yep that definitely that's, works we see that in the movies so you know that's kind of what they're implying is that they're like the master race is human as far as they think as far as the empire is concerned and um yeah. that yeah and uh i love it i love the show i think it's just a travesty because people are just there's such a misconception and there's a misread of what's going on with the show for people who aren't watching it because they're like yeah i guess I i'll mean, watch obi-wan and then i'll watch that show and it's like wait no just watch just drop all the other shows and watch this show it the first two episodes are slow though man you got to give it give it that and that that like when i mentioned it to the little circle of people i didn't watch this stuff like out of the five people who were in the conversation three of us all were like yeah i fell asleep on the first episode (laughs) that's that's interesting because i find it much more compelling and maybe it's partially that you kind of have to pay attention to get what's happening if you check out you you miss out on something important yeah i think maybe you don't do that as much with the others you got to be in the right state of mind for it. like, And that's why I kept talking about how it felt like an indie film to me. Because it was right. very much deliberately building the world. It was giving us the characters and the, 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 the context in which they are interacting with each other. Um, and it was a slow burn. And slow burns are good when you... And I, I, I'm saying that and it's not meant to be an exhaustive statement slow burns are particularly effective with me when I have a sense of where that burn is going I didn't know anything about what this show was doing or where it was going or even how many episodes it was going to be so for them to take that much time with the first episode or so I didn't know like is this going to be over in four episodes what is the end game why is it taking so long to get there and Part of that is intentional. Like for me, like I'm at the point now where I don't look up anything about a show. I don't look up any casting information. I don't look how, how long the episodes are or how many there are. So that way my immersion is complete when I'm watching. But if I'm tired from work <laughs> and I come home and I've eaten and I'm sitting and I'm nodding off and I'm like, I guess I'll start this new show. That is for me, that was not the right frame of reference or the right, right. state of mind to start this kind of show because we, it does have a hypnotic effect. We watched the first, yeah, three episodes. It was smart for them to drop all three episodes the first day. Uh, so that, cause it's one real big arc. Those first right, three see, episodes. I didn't even know that initially. I was like, did they, how many did they release? And I found out they did three and I was like, well, I'm only going to be able to do one. So I didn't know yeah. it was an arc. It was basically yeah. they released the movie. Yep. It's been two movies now. We've seen yeah. two Andor movies in a row, which is great. Um, I think that 
I just read a comment on Twitter just now because I was like, how how is everybody sleeping on this show? And someone was like, well, everybody knows how Andor, what his destiny is, what his fate is. That's why people are skipping the show. And I'm like, that is a mistake. That is a mistake because everybody knows how Darth Vader ends up, but doesn't make Empire Strikes Back any less interesting, you know, like, so um, that's kind of interesting. It's, I mean... I would say that that's kind of like an equivalent. Like, you, if you, even though you know what's going to happen, eventually this has nothing to do with the this the story that they're building right here. Um, yeah, when I hear a dumb take, I'm going to guess something that might happen, which would be super dumb. And let me see if this is out, this can out dumb your dumb take, but because uh, well, I don't not know, a like, guess about I, this show at all. Oh. I have a guess about what might happen, uh, but go ahead. Uh, I've got a theory on that too, but I'm kind of keeping it. No, my dumb take was like, I was watching the characters talk, right? And I hate to make everything about race, but this is more about typecasting and character choices and performance. And I was just like, you know, one of the common things in Star Wars is that they typically have people who have some European or British type of accent representing the empire so they usually yeah. have that affect when you talk. Mm-hmm. so we got that from the colonel this episode and the former stormtrooper and i'm just thinking why couldn't they have let john boyega use his his natural speaking voice well you know that is interesting because the uh stormtroopers always had american accents and the, uh, the higher, yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah. right. They did. The, uh, the upper admin had accents. Yeah. These aren't the droids we're looking for. Uh, move along. The American accents. So true. Yeah. Good call. First, my I, I actually, well, makes the, that's something I did notice for sure. What's that? He did. Have, the former stormtrooper had his accent. He retained his accent. Yeah. So that's interesting that they sort of, kept that but i mean you know they showed that that next round of stormtroopers were not clones anymore they were stolen from their families yeah Yeah, so that's that's could be why who knows and he probably grew up with the empire because of that so but yeah why would they let john boy it was a dumb take and i sure proved it (laughs) well no no it's not that dumb because it makes it it's it's a good question here's (laughs) a dumber take what if this is the dumbest thing ever and I hope they don't do this but like what if to ensure the future of like a series of Andor they go like Andor's a clone and the one who like they clone him and then keep him going and then what happens in Rogue One happens in Rogue One and <laughs> he just he's beyond cool. he's you know like uh I think that would be really stupid eh. all bad ideas welcome but I feel like that's how they would ensure a future of a series, you know. Well, right now they've only done that with Palpatine and Jango Fett. I'm not yeah. well. I, I don't know. All of Did they clone Darth Maul? Well, they just they have Darth Maul around. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they keep bringing Even people back. Even though he back. should yeah. be dead. Yeah. yeah. Somehow well, Darth I mean, Maul returned. He's half half robot though the part of him they got cut in half they retained the part with the brain and got rid of the rest so yeah, it sucks it for him he can't poop anymore go ahead oh man <laughs> the visual yeah well the lack of the visual <laughs> better 
Um, so remember when I talked about the childhood part and the significance of that, I realized why that was so important now. It just clicked. So, and it's something that's yeah. been, they've managed to keep the thread of what was important about that in both of these arcs, but not in the same way because they changed the perspective we view the importance from. And if right. you have it, so I'm not going to say it because that'll ruin it if you if they do something significant with it. But there is an essential plot driving thing in both these two films. I'm going to start calling them films now because that's they really do. Like these are two good Star Wars movies that got broken up into three episodes. And they do, <clears> and they <throat> really do have like a film quality. Like, like I, yeah. I'm looking like, at this. Well, look at there's film grain going on, and I don't know if that's just an aesthetic overlay that they put on it, or if that's the new digital. The new digital sort of can uh, replicate the randomness of film, but there is grain going on. Are you in watching the on your super duper really nice TV? Yeah, but it's but it's it's I'm evident. Not, so I don't see that grain. <laughs> but it's evident, especially in the low lighting conditions, you see a lot more grain because that's just part of the nature of photography. But like. I'm watching it going, this looks like it's on film. So I, I am really impressed with the fact that it, that's a thing about Star Wars that, like it or not, that's a visceral part of this, of how it work, how yeah. Star Wars is. It's a filmed show. It's a filmed movie. Um, so the more digital it looks, the, the we actually yeah. come out of it more. Um, I was... I was reading about that actually, and there was something about film grit and green and the contrast levels and also the frame rate of 24 frames per second um, lulls us and also the different types of lenses, like anamorphic lenses that they use in film. It creates a dreamlike state more so than hyper-realistic digital um, f- right. f- fast frame like stuff. It, it actually brings us into a a sense of a dreamlike state more so than say like the Hobbit at like 60 frames per second, super hyper digital earlier that it was hypnotic. It's hypnotic. It is a hypnotic show and it's excellent. And, and I think I can't say, I can't say anything like more how, how much I love this show. I think it's just a really, it's just so perfectly well made. It's well made i it it's everything that star wars has needed and that's what people say every single time a show comes up but i don't think people were really saying that about obi-wan or boba fett i think boba fett was confusing and obi-wan was weak it wasn't so the problem, it could have been i, I felt like obi-wan they they lost people early with the chase chase the, the chase scene in the first episode, the on-foot chase scene, the Disney chase scene. In Obi-Wan? Yeah, the flea chase scene. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, they, I think they, that... They keep a lot... Right. And it became a Disney show because of the cute little kid, you know? It's like, okay, well, now there's a cute little kid aspect of this show. So... It's a anyone else when there's children in media sorry i just don't like kids in on tv <laughs> i just don't like watching kids on tv yeah unless they're 
I have a oh, quote ahead. that I say. I'll say this often. I've tweeted this many times, but uh, child actors scare the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've worked with a lot. Yeah, like they're very they scary. Preternaturally mature for it to work. They have to be yes. either so good at portraying a child in a way that's compelling that you forget their acting, which is a sign of them being obnoxiously good at acting, or they have to be so good at portraying a maturity and intelligence beyond their age that you forget that they're a little kid that it's yeah. disturbing. Um, or they're just bad. You know? <laughs> it's like there's not much margin for error there because like I could say, oh, I don't like kids in movies as an adult. Like, as a kid, I didn't care, but as an adult, like, then I think about the times kids have been in movies and I've just been like, wow, that performance really just, like, knocked me off. Like, uh, I remember when I saw an Interview with a Vampire, and that was the first time I'd ever seen Kirsten Dunst in anything I knew. And she was in a role where she had to play a child that is actually an adult and did it in a way that I felt was really convincing at the time. Now, I wasn't that old myself. I was still, you know, just at the end of my teens. But I was just like, wow, that's a very talented actress. She, like, knocked it out the park. And there have been performances here and there and in between where, like, Haley Joe Osment and The Sixth Sense, like, I was like, wow, he was really good yeah. in that. Um, and so there will be those performances. But it's, like, like, it's not the norm. Like, whenever I meet a kid that, like, has that same vibe when you meet them in real life. They're, they're not acting, but they're putting forth a persona that doesn't seem like a kid. Like, like this kid yeah. is too sharp. And, it, it yeah, it's... It's corn. It's, it's corn. It's got the juice. It's the greatest. Yeah, it's, I don't know why it's my favorite thing. <laughs> the kid rocks. Um, the kid is great. Yeah. I, I actually feel the opposite about um, kids who seem, like, too too wise for their size um <laughs> i think they're really amusing yeah they screen, are. you you say they have like that weird affect to them and i agree i think that is strange like the girls in the conjuring movie the first one i, I remember thinking like these kids are you know these kids are just a little too good See, that's it, or like watch horror movies <laughs> I've worked with a lot of kid actors just being on a, like a set photographer, just working on set on Hallmark movies. And there's like, there's always a kid. There's always kids. And, and some of the kids are just kids, you know, they're just running around as kids, but then there's always like that kid. That's like a demon that is possessed, possessing a small body. (laughs) Like they're, they're like, there's some old soul inside this little tiny person. And you're just like, this is creepy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, they, oh they've been like, here before yeah you know too much don't you there's something going on there's a yeah. lot of gears turning they always know their lines perfectly they know where to be uh, all the time they're like very precocious it's really um it's it's sometimes it can be uncanny i think might be the word where you're like yeah. this isn't right but also i can i can also can relate to them too at the same time i'm like yeah i remember being your size and it's going this yeah, is all nonsense I- <laughs> I remember um, being a kid like that, yeah. where adults would comment, like, you seem yeah. very wise or mature or whatever. So was Very that a creepy man. kid? Yeah. You were that creepy I'm, kid. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have also got that. But the thing is, 
some cultures embrace that. Like, like, like I said, I work in schools, and there are a lot of kids that are like expertly miming their parents' mannerisms, mm-hmm. whether it be how they speak or how they move, like their mm-hmm. their body language. And you see a five year old who's just starting school do that because they've been at home with the adults this whole time, and it's just like, right. oh, that is hilarious because it's like, look at that yes. that a kid doing their mom, but they don't right. know that they're doing an impression. And a dead on impression, yeah. uh, because right? Because that's, that's the only example. Yeah, yeah, that's the only behavior modeled for them. That's what I, I heard this comedian say this funny thing about like if you're an only child, you're you know it's you're just you're just a kid growing up around two weird adults. <laughs> <laughs> like if you don't have these siblings to play with. What's really weird to me are the kids who say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, without skipping a beat. Well, oh, yeah. I mean. My dad was in the military, so hi. (laughs) That was me. Yeah, (laughs) like how? How? I I don't get it. How do you get a kid to say that precise thing the same way every time? If that's the norm, then like literally, my dad. If you did not finish a statement to him with that verbiage, then life stopped. He did not move. You did not move. It was like all right, Mexican standoff until you finally end the sentence with. Yes. Um, Whoa. And, and so, I mean, that for him being in the military and having that authoritarian mentality imposed upon him, um, because it was a matter of respect. And the, the, Maybe the hierarchy. You were a creepy kid. No, like my whole family and <laughs> everybody I know was from a military family. Oh, yeah, and I was. I was a creepy kid. Look, I was 5'9 <laughs> when I was 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no! So, oh, you're like a long me, noodle walking around. Right, me and yeah, Will so. are height supremacists. I have, a new one. I have a new one. We're not height supremacists. We're uh oh height power. We're all tight. All tight. We're all tight. All t- we're all tight. <laughs> that's that's the new yeah. one. Um, that's the new one. But anyway, the the. the act then like they're good like that the little girl from uh Kenobi, the thing about her was there were certain times when the line reads were good because the language that they had her using the, the actual Sounded script authentic yeah yes and, but the times when it was like all right we wrote this for what we thought Carrie Fisher was like as Princess Leia, not necessarily what yeah. Princess Leia actually said. Was it's like no, you're no, you're yeah, you got to be a and, kid first, and then you got to grow up to be Princess Leia. <laughs> like you can't just yeah. be. I mean, you can have traits of that, but you got to show her kind of coming upon yeah. those things, not just automatically having those inherent. I mean, maybe I don't know. There's certain things where you can show inherent traits that are leadership traits but also show where she needs to learn those things and she really doesn't know those things yet but uh, again you know mandalorian cute little baby grogu uh boba uh, boba fett was just like okay we're here on this desert planet walking around with guns doing really not much (laughs) you know and then like why don't we cut to mandalorian Yeah, in the middle of the season, they're like, "Remember, remember Grogu, remember Mandalorian." Just like halfway through Boba Fett, they're just like, "Yeah, remember this?" We just gave up halfway through the show and decided that uh, we're gonna go back to the Mandalorian. 
All right, I don't know if we've had this conversation, but I had it with somebody. I had it with somebody. And my defense of that happening is very simple, but I think Ooh. I think it has merit. The same way they introduced the Mandalorian into Boba Fett was just them returning the favor of how they introduced Boba Fett in the season to the Mandalorian. They had a two-episode arc. Here comes Boba Fett. Boba right. Fett drives the plot of the show until they hand it off, and then he goes back to the Mandalorian. Oh, right. So it's like a little an inverse. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, they just mirror. The inverse, inverse people like more. I have more of a conspiratorial view on what happened. I think that they didn't they they were just postponed like cuz the season season 3 is like 2 years after season 2. Apparently cuz season 3 comes out next year. But I think because of lockdown and covid restrictions they just weren't able to shoot anything. But they had like season 3 episodes 1 and 2 basically ready to go for Mandalorian or at least a couple of episodes. And I think it just had to do with uh, like Boba Fett. They might've been filming like them at the same time. what was time. around. Yeah. I think they're probably filming them at the same time. And then Boba Fett, they, they had to like probably just shoot more sparingly. I don't know. I just think they weren't able to complete a season of Boba Fett. So they had probably two shows going on at once and then they just threw one couple episodes of the other show into this into that season i don't know man oh he makes angry sounds nah, he's nah, grunting that's, uh, no that's the brain gears churning that's not me angry it's oh like, it's grinding sounds yeah maybe some like, wd-40 i'm su- sussing out the math here and i'm like okay so they knew at the end of uh mandalorian season two that the next December they were doing Boba Fett. It was already on the schedule. And I'm pretty yeah. sure they were probably already in production. So on schedule. And I think that but that was twenty twenty. Because it's beginning. I'm not done. I'm not yeah. done. This is this is the ugly truth. You don't have to like it. I'm gonna play the, I the think Jeopardy theme song. In effect, because alright, so Robert Rodriguez was Let's, is it fair to say that he was he had more of a showrunner role for Book of Boba Fett uh, than our boy oh Mr. 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 Oh, Happy Hogan aka John the guy who thank you John Favreau I totally blanked on his <laughs> name alright so he wasn't as much in charge or Book of Boba Fett. So he was, it was Robert Rodriguez. Kind of, yeah, that, yeah, that's saying Robert Rodriguez kind of ran that thing, so that was his production. Um, but the one thing that I feel like was always set in stone for Book of Boba Fett was at some point since one of the main supporting characters was literally taken from the Mandalorian, uh, uh, that they were going to reunite the whole crew with the exception of the person who tweeted themselves out of the Star Wars universe. Uh, oh. So you think they... Uh, so you think they just ditched those episodes? Well, not even that they ditched it, but the plan was they to just get them all together. Right. Uh, no, but no. what I'm saying is 
they had to find a way to get Grogu back with the Mandalorian. And if you wait oh, till yeah, the yeah, first yeah. Mandalorian, oh, then you can't. Yes. Right. That's so, 100% true because Disney was like, because after that incredible, emotional, insanely great season finale for episodes for season two of The Mandalorian, Disney was like, but we like money, though. And yeah. that little baby has made us so much money. How do we get that baby back? Because <laughs> that's the formula. That's the winning formula. Because I was like, what are they going to do next season if without the two full seasons of Baby Grogu? And then they were like, nope, we're just going to bring it back because that's the winning formula. Why mess with perfection? And then they had to like undo that whole ep- that whole buildup. They had to undo it. It's incredible. Which invites another spitballing theory on my part. And that is it was also a second testing of Cyber Luke. Because I am one of the people who like really did not like the way they brought Luke in. Not necessarily the character per se, but I mean, just well, give I've me old thoughts. Mark Hamill. Just give me old Mark Hamill. Yeah. But here, also, the problem with uh, Luke that I just think they're missing is, again, it's just the member berries. It's like, he's wearing black. Now, if we watch... The trilogy, the original trilogy, he wears white in the first movie, he wears gray in the second movie, and he wears black in the third movie. But so he should be wearing pink. He should be wearing pink. He should be dressed in pink with a purple bow in his hair at this point. Yeah. I'm saying, I mean, I, I, that's, that's, that's the new Jedi Order, he decided, because it's up to him. That, But that's the thing, is like, I think character wise, it doesn't make sense that he'd still be wearing black. It seems like they would. They'd go, oh, he's actually. Cause oh, that was the whole. Clear? He's he's wearing oh, nothing any nothing at all. Final body suit. Well, I think I think what the, I think what they missed. I think what the Return of the Jedi alludes to is that he might fall to the dark side. That's what the visual storytelling of him wearing black is like. That's the whole point. It's like it comes. To, it's like he's almost his father, in in actually, like Return of the Jedi, like a mustard yellow would have yeah. been very appropriate yeah something something it's I, it's it just like the yeah. sun like the desert mm-hmm. like his two... his color changing lightsaber that they yeah. finally or decided like, was blue or like what he wore in episodes seven and eight like i think that makes sense that he would go back to like this grayish brownish like well, look because, uh, yeah so I also, part of my spitballing, feel that the thing they accomplished with those two episodes, besides being able to use Mando and Grogu to pump up the finale of the Book of Boba Fett, is they were able to write Luke out of the shows again. Like, they don't have to bring Luke back at all. Right. Yeah, But they didn't even have to. I thought they were going to be brave. I thought they were going to be a brave TV show, The Mandalorian, but Disney, like, how do we bring that little baby back? Because that baby made us so much money. We got so much money. How do we keep doing that? They can so, but, like, just killed the baby. Yeah, they just, just killed the baby. It ain't over yet. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> here's, here's, what, here's what I thought they were. I thought they were going to be brave and go like, I thought they were going to say, 
Well, that's the end of the Grogu storyline. We gave him to Luke. Maybe we'll check in with him two seasons from now. Next season, we have a different powerful interest for the Mandalorian, like, say, his journey to become uh, the king of Mandalore or whatever, the ruler of Mandalore, or there's a love story. Maybe he falls in love with somebody. Maybe that's actually compelling. Like, why can't we do that? Why can't we, you oh, know, yeah. like, how, yeah. Hey, what's you know, the last successful Star Wars love story? There's Han never and been Leia. Han and Leia. Yeah, Han and Leia. And it that's ends right. in an epic divorce that you don't get yeah. to watch. And yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Han and then dies himself and she dies partially because he sucked her out in the space. So I don't think that was a happy love story at all. Well, I think. maybe not happy, but compelling. It is right. an interesting okay. one right. and it's a realistic one. Like I haven't seen any of the CGI stuff, so maybe there's some happy-go-lucky love in there. But uh... The only good Star Wars love story is that one cartoon where r2d2 finds a pink r2d2 and they sit in a hot tub together yeah and then they short circuit you know i think it's funny because the the luke skywalker stuff in the book of boba fett season whatever episodes three and four whatever those those were actually better they did better and here's why they did better it was way better Compare it, A, B, it. It's way better. Are you better. talking about the visual, or are you talking about the, the dialogues? The dialogue. Oh, I'm just talking God. about the... I'm talking about the deep faking. The deep, the fake. deep faking. If there yeah, was no it's... no dialogue, if they didn't comp the lines, yeah, it looked better. They cut away for better. a lot of them. They cut away for a lot of the lines. Well, here's the thing. Here's why they, it was way better. Because there was a... There was some guy on YouTube who took the season finale of uh, of season oh, yeah, two of The Mandalorian. They got with him. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, and then they made him the head of the likeness department at Disney because he was like, here's how you do it, guys. And it was cool because he was just completely independent. And now he works for Disney. He works for Disney. Um, so A rare I've, success story. A rare success I mean, story. But they'll poach. They'll, they'll for me is that they just don't do it anymore. Like that would have been the success. Like yeah, like we don't need to see. Like if they were gonna, do, I just thought Sebastian Stan was just gonna like take over the role or something. Like why not just have an actual human and then have a season? I don't know. That, to me, I would be like this would. They be... made so much money with those toys. They gotta spend it somewhere. Yeah, yeah you need yeah. Luke's likeness. But I'm gonna wrap it up because well, I gotta Luke-ness. Eddie, but... Yes, Lucas. <laughs> Lucas Films Limited. <laughs> <laughs> they used Luke's Lucas. <laughs> oh, there's a tweet in there somewhere. Um, and a two live crew reference. Uh, <laughs> Luther. Yeah. Campbell. Luther Uncle Campbell. Luke. Uncle Luke. Skywalker, and he got sued by George Lucas to see since this is using the name Luke Skywalker. Oh, that's unfortunate. Also, George Lucas said to the Reagan administration, cease and desist with using the the Star Wars space program, which was pretty cool. But also, yeah, George Lucas said, because Ronald Reagan was like, we're going to shoot 
uh, intercont yeah, intercontinental ballistic yeah. missiles out of the sky with space lasers that aren't not yeah. that are not made by Jewish people, but just space lasers, <laughs> and that and uh, so they they called it the Star Wars program, and George Lucas said, "No, yeah. you don't." <laughs> and then uh, also, the but here's a, here's another one that he ceased and desisted. You cannot call Ooh, Android. You can't call Android phones droid phones. They have to be called oh. Android because ah. droid is a Star yeah, Wars term. They used to everything was a droid phone, and they don't use that anymore. They're not allowed. Without me even realizing that, man, flex that four billion. He's being a hack. He's hacking it. He's like, I'm gonna keep every last cent of all that. But it's true. That's you can't say droid phone. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. He's uh, changed the the face of movies and his wallet. All those credits that they were stealing, that was George Lucas's credits. <laughs> that was George Lucas's. <laughs> it's a tie-in to the, the South Park episode with all the... <laughs> I forgot what it... They, the vault? I forgot what the vault was of. It's something George Lucas it was, Oh, God, it's old. We're talking 20 years ago, but... Anyway. 20 this years ago. This has yeah, been great. Was, Thanks, Will. A whole episode about George Lucas. He had something he had stockpiled, and it and people were trying to get to it and they couldn't. And like at the end of the episode, they show it and he's got like this huge area. And I can't remember what was in there. Credits. It was those credits. <laughs> the space credits. Uh, this episode was excellent. I'm glad uh, Ray and Will and Colleen could could uh, live watch and it was just the show it's just an excellent show and i'm trying to hype everybody up on it. i'm trying to hype my parents my brother i'm like you guys gotta be watching the show like what the hell's wrong with you <laughs> like it's it's I really yeah. people are gonna binge on winter days when there's like nothing to do and like they're on break from holiday or whatever it feels yeah. like this is it's like got that netflix vibe like you're just gonna zone out and watch it all in one yeah, city. I actually—that's actually, That's actually I, a good I, thing, I think. I think so too. I've watched every episode twice because they're good. <laughs> they're worth rewatching. You nerd! I'm such a nerd, Ye and like <laughs> I geek, I geek out on it, and I watch every because I pick up a new thing every time. I'm like, oh, there's a little wrinkle, there's a little thing that I didn't notice the first time around. Um, little character moments and little story moments, which are really. Um, it's just baked in. It's really, really yeah. well made. Um, the Gilroys and right. Susanna. This was a tough episode to to manage, and it was perfectly uh -huh. done. So, hats off so to you. MacGuffin, that's all I'll say. I I think there's a MacGuffin waiting on us. Yeah, I mean. This, the one thing about Star Wars that I will appreciate, and not just the father, son, mother, daughter crap, I think I think that happened. I think people are misled. I think they're misguided when they think that it's like a family thing. I don't care what George Lucas says. It's all about fathers and sons. And, and No. What, is, what's, what we guarantee we always will get in Star Wars is a dramatic twist, a massive dramatic twist. That is what we expect. That's what we come to learn about Star Wars. It's not just... No, I'm your father. It's not, that's a dramatic twist. It's not 
we're not going to reveal a new daddy, baby daddy, every single time. It's just it that happened to be the massive dramatic twist in the middle of the uh, original trilogy. Right. Why can't we oh, introduce I, a new one, a new okay device? High note, high note. Yeah, that was probably the best light show in Star Wars since the Hold On Maneuver. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah that was pretty cool looking. I, 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 awesome. I would like to say I would like to take my hat off to Ryan uh, Ryan Johnson for creating some of the most memorable moments in all of Star yeah. Wars. And I'm, I'm gonna name three right now. You named the Holdo maneuver. The, it sucked the air out of the entire theater and was just completely dead silent when that happened because everybody was just compl- just taken aback like what like i've never seen anything like that in, in, in that, anything i'm an idiot and i can't like not grasp a moment like that and add uh, an accent to it so i did yell out holy shit <laughs> it, yeah well that that's that's what everybody's thinking but you know you had the more with all like wow no one's gonna say it then you've got uh you've got luke's freaking skywalker at the beginning of the movie going what am i supposed to face down the first order with a laser sword cut to two hours later cut to two hours later he's walking through burning gates his silhouette walking toward the first order like that's one of the coolest images i've ever seen in star wars luke skywalker yeah that whole sequence is great the whole um and you know what is also excellent about star wars episode eight which i did see eight times in the theater the very last time i did see it it was a it was at 4dx and that last 40 minutes where they're on um crate the planet with the, the, the Qbert soil where you jump on it and it turns red and you jump on it again to, and it yeah. changes color. Um, they're, during that sequence, because you're in 40X, they're doing flashing lights in the theater, they're bringing smoke, they're bringing mist in. When, when they were on Octu, there was mist, it felt, wow. then there's wind blowing in your hair. And then the chair is constantly moving when you're in the fighters. And that, it totally enhanced the crate speeder sequence because like like the whole time you're like every time they cut to the cockpit you're like shaking and i was just like wow this is sequence is actually way more enhanced in this format um but not only that there was a there's just so many like the okay the back-to-back moment uh the throne room the Mm back-to-back kylo ren and ray joining forces back-to-back slow motion one take of just that camera pulling back and the two of them like dispatching the Imperial guards or, or the uh, Royal guards or whatever. And then during that sequence, the entire red background, f- f- bur- like going as- uh, asunder, it's just like turning and just burning to the ground around them. And it was just like, why are we not recognizing the incredible film visual of that? The historical Film, but I've never seen anything like that. It was so cool. You the whole what? you like me are on full tilt. The, yeah. the the high moments of that movie are so good that we will never give a fair reading of that movie. Mm-hmm. It's just great, it our, yeah. Because there there are some low lows as well. 
But those moments are so good, I'm never going to let go of them. And it's like, they, there's no way they can redeem the, the sequel trilogy. But if I could just have those moments. Yeah. Those moments are just so freaking good. Like, and just the, and I love, love, love the artist. I'm going to, I'm going to sing the praises of episode eight a little bit here because I, the fact that they build up so subtly, not even subtly, they build up the whole force projection concept through the whole movie. You're watching it slowly happen. And then Luke Skywalker's like, let me show you how it's done, y'all. <laughs> and like he literally skywalks. Literally skywalks. I mean, think about it. He literally fulfills yeah. his his namesake in the and he's it's incredible. It's fortuitous. It's it's destiny. And it's so cool watching him slide on that surface and not change the color of it. Every single yeah. time I've watched it since the first time going, he did. He's not there the whole time. They're telling us he's not there. They shoot him. They shoot. They fire upon him. He's still standing there without any dust on him. Even he's not there. They're telling you this the whole scene. And you're still surprised at the very end where you're like, oh, he's not there. <laughs> Even though they've told us this entire movie how to do this. It's just great. It's just so great. I, I, I think it's such a great movie. Um, I don't care what the fanboys cry about saying, yeah, it's a good movie, yeah. but it's not a Star Wars. It's just shut up. You, you don't you know less about Star Wars than I think I mean, a significant are. amount of the hatred for it was racism. It's got to be. Yeah. So you got Rose. Rose Tico and and you've got Finn that people probably just did not yeah. They already remember, didn't like him. Yeah, there was a report that came out before uh, The Force Awakens came out um, where it was one of those you know re reactionary fan casts where they're like, oh yeah, we heard that yeah, the, the hero's going to be a black guy and he's going to be the, the Jedi that Jedi. saves the universe and all this stuff. And that was what I don't know where they got that information from, but you know, we're talking about a year before the movie even came out and yeah. they it put that out there. And that, that was the, the start of the initial backlash. And I remember when that happened, that's when the seed was planted and, and it was, I feel like somebody was just gaslighting people to get hits. Yeah. Oh, well, so that was, there was a, there was a, I mean, the whole marketing campaign w was, to their credit, very misleading because it was a lot of Finn holding a lightsaber. Yeah. So that does happen in the movie, but so much of the posters and the signage was Finn holding that lightsaber up, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess he's going to be a Jedi. But but they really didn't. They right, biffed yeah. that in Episode Nine. Remember when he's like, oh, I got something to tell you. Uh, let me just tell. Yeah. I got. Hey Ray, I, I I've been meaning to tell you something. And then they like literally never tells her. <laughs> yeah that was me yeah it's a girlfriend <laughs> and he's completely lost yeah he has no idea Ray. it's like a yeah. two minute long super cut of him just Ray 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 and it's yeah. like alright this isn't funny but I, yeah I mean it is funny but it isn't funny if you... it's like oh yeah. uh I watch Ryan Airy a lot do the breakdowns of these episodes and the shows, and it's funny because every time they refer to episode nine, um, it's I think it's what Screen Crush. Every time they 
refer to episode nine, they cut to Poe going, somehow Palpatine has returned. <laughs> like, just because it's so stupid. It's just so stupid that it's like yeah, yeah. five times every video. <laughs> be like, I mean, yeah. All right, to be fair, is it any stupid than a, your mama joke <laughs> during a nuclear um, standoff? I do like that he does a, a your mama joke every single episode of Screen Crush. Um, it's pretty, it, it gets me every time, even though it's no, cheap. I mean, Poe. Poe. Oh, po, po, oh yeah, yeah, your mother. Of episode eight, yeah. Um, so. Well, well, no, in Screen Crush, the dude does a your mom joke every single, oh, every that, single, yeah. yeah, every single, like, he'll just be like, oh, you'll see, this is a Twilight on this planet, and over here is your mom. <laughs> they like just like get they get you every time it's really funny it's stupid but they have to do it um but shout out to screen crush is a great breakdown if star wars wants to make money why wouldn't they put more than one twilight into a show and then sell twilight costumes because a twilight costume is like notoriously one of the hardest ones to figure out how to make yeah even though it's one of the most popular because twilights are like the sexy uh <laughs> star wars species yeah, I mean, they got tentacle heads. I want right. more Twi'leks. Yeah, maybe it's because they want them to be hard to actually do convincingly to prevent them being used in nefarious productions. Yeah, well, you know, oh, but that would be the first thing I'd want to see done with those costumes. So yeah, maybe you're like, right. That's probably high in demand. <laughs> there's probably a lot of a, there's a big audience for that. Entertainment has been trying to reverse engineer the costume for years, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, ep- episode six of Andor. <laughs> Excellent. Again, yes, it's and I don't know how to explain the show to people who don't watch even Star Wars. I'm just like, gee, I, I know people. So my brother, for instance, would love this. My brother doesn't like comic book movies quote unquote to him it's just comic book movies it's whatever but he really likes the dark knight for instance he's like i really like that movie i just really i just think it's a great movie i'm like yeah because it's grounded in quote reality you know but and like and i'm trying to tell him i'm like this show is like that but for star wars (laughs) it just happens to be the backdrop is star wars it's it's like they're treating it like a, a a really intense spy thriller and and I know my, that's all my brother watches, like literally all he watches, like Jack Ryan stuff and all of this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't know how to get you to watch the show. <laughs> and same thing with my parents. They love that kind of like those intense, um, you know, types of spy thrillers and stuff. And, and I don't know why it's such a hard sell, because I think people are saturated with seeing that Obi-Wan and Boba Fett are like these sort of fantastical characters, yet they can't. They can't quite place that. Like, I just think that it's misguided. I think people are misguided by thinking that it's just, oh, well, I guess I'll watch Obi Wan first, and then I'll watch that show. And I'm like, no, just skip. Do they watch? Um, they just watch a bunch of stuff all at once. They they watch like fifty episodes of The Closer, Fear Sedgwick, (laughs) and Columbo, over and over again. So yeah, maybe like maybe when all the episodes are available, they'll be more inclined. Yeah, maybe I think so. I, I probably if I go back during Christmas because the show will be, I'll I'll just binge it again with them. I'll be like, you need to watch this, and I'm gonna make you watch it now. 
So my mom um, has never watched any of the Star Wars movies. She just doesn't do Star Wars, right? Yeah. She watched Book of Boba Fett. She watched Mandalorian season one and two because they were just good shows to her. Like her taste yeah. varies. Um, right. <laughs> you may take take offense at some of the things that she's enjoyed, but even so, Duke's a hazard. Like, like which one though? are we talking? Johnny Knoxville? <laughs> are we talking about Bo and Luke? Um, Bo Luke. You know my friend uh, Evan. He's the singer. He's Cage Nine. Cage Nine did the remake of Good Old Boys for the Johnny Knoxville oh, one. <laughs> yeah, like oh, 15 wow. years ago. So Cage Nine is on that soundtrack, apparently. I'm going to uh, have to hear what a remake of Good Old Boys sounds like because I, I have Evan, not heard. Evan's singing it. Just Good Old Boys. Um, did they do yeah. it in, in in the style of the original or no, did they take something? Okay. I, think it's, I think it's heavier. Let me see. Let's find. Let's get a little clip of that. Not to get hit with a copyright, but um, Cage. Yeah, I'll just tell you, Evan. Just uh, release the the copyright. Evan's all over the place. Good old boys. Let me see. Dukes of Hazard. Maybe it's called. Might have been for the promotional materials. It's Waylon Jennings did the original, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's available. Might have just been for the promotion, the Jessica Simpson promotion well, materials. I can just like pull the movie up and then actually just listen to it in the movie. That's true. That's that's one way to do it. Yeah, here we go. Let's see. This is Cage Nine. Evan. That's so funny. That's a gig. You know, he got a gig. They said, hey, you want to do a cover? He said, sure. And he probably did that in an afternoon. <laughs> I just realized we're in the, the the Discord, so I can't hear it when you play music anyway. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you guys, girls, folks out there, ladies and gentlemen, people of uh, no particular gender uh, binary uh, assignation. Humans and species of all kinds. Thank you for joining us on the show. Is what an excellent discussion we had, uh, insightful, in depth, and very, very great episode. I mean, I'm gonna watch it again tonight probably, and then I'll watch She-Hulk at midnight because that's how I do. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank y'all for joining me. Have a wonderful evening. You too.